And this is the podcast that navigates the film industry through the lens of the women doing just that. This week's guest is talent agent Emma Obank. Emma joined Castle Rotto Ramsey and Associates, an industry-leading literary agency representing many of the world's best-known creatives, in 2014 as an agent's assistant. At the age of 26, Emma started building her own list of screenwriters, directors and literary properties. Today, she represents some of the UK's most exciting and promising new voices. Alongside her agenting work, Emma launched Castle Rotto's Unrepresented Writer and Director Surgeries, which act as a platform for unrepresented talent to gain direct access to agents and creatives and freely ask questions about the industry. Guests at the surgeries have included Bisha K. Ali, Jack Thorne, Jessica Hobbs and Kaylee Llewellyn. Emma is a frequent guest speaker at the NFTS and has been on the panel for writing competitions such as BAFTA Rowcliffe and Funny Women and she's also a mentee on the 2023 Women in Film and TV Mentorship Scheme. We talk about how she became aware of and interested in talent agenting, how she worked her way up the agenting ladder, how she acts as a buffer for rejection and maintains client relationships, how she decides to take on new clients and her recommendations for approaching agents. Without further ado, this is episode 127 of Best Girl Grip. start these podcasts just in the realm of maybe your own realization of when you wanted to start working in the film industry and I'm wondering if there was a moment or an experience or a person that sort of made that shift for you where you were oh yeah film and tv that could be cool yeah it was kind of a gradual process my dad brought me up my mum was at work all the time when I was little and our treat every day after school was coming home and kind of watching Star Trek Voyager and Charmed and The Simpsons And I always thought, God, this is what really excites me every day when I was a kid. And it was when I started secondary school. I remember in my first English lesson, my teacher was like, "Okay, everybody in the class, just write what you want to write. And I'll look at it kind of as your homework. And so I sat there and I was like, what shall I write? And I just basically plotted out a whole episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and wrote like 20 pages. My teacher was like, what are you doing? So that was kind of, I guess, like the lightning bulb moment. But for me, it was a bit more of a struggle because I went to quite a small state school in Essex and I used to love drama classes and English. But whenever I said I wanted to work in TV, it was sort of laughed at. It was like, yeah, no, that's never going to happen for you. So I just kind of went through school thinking kind of to myself when I finish and kind of if I go to university, that's what I want to do, but never really had the self-belief, I guess. And it was when I went to university, I started joining kind of the comedy society and used to kind of venue manage a comedy troupe. And that led to me producing a comedy festival when I was in my second year. And it was at that point that I thought, okay, I'm actually going to try and go for this. And so in my final year of university... I applied for an internship at the BBC in comedy commissioning 
thinking this is never going to happen and got a call a couple of weeks later and had an interview and I ended up getting it so that was kind of my foot in the door and I look back now and think if I hadn't got that there's no way I would be doing what I'm doing now because that completely opened the doors for me and helped me build the relationships that I have now. What did that job entail you know what were you exposed to what were your responsibilities? So it was a five-week placement over my Christmas holidays in comedy commissioning. I didn't really know what comedy commissioning was when I applied. I just talked about all the comedy that I loved and um, talked about television. And it was when Shane Allen had just moved over from Channel 4 to take over as comedy controller. And they were about to move from TBC to New Broadcasting House. So it was kind of working in like this amazing building with so much history and just kind of really immersing myself. And and they were great. They basically let me read everything that kind of came in and then have like creative conversations with them about it, which is how I really learned how to dissect script. And Shane was brilliant. He basically said, while you're here, utilize the kind of internal contact database and just write to whoever you want to write to within the BBC and meet them. So I did that and went and met lots of different producers and kind of learned about the different roles within television. And then that then led to me getting a work experience placement in development at NBC Universal, which I also did during my final year of university. Amazing. So you really got a head start, you know, and that you're already doing at university. And then so I'm wondering at what stage talent agenting kind of became apparent to you and that you learned about that role and thought that that might combine some of your kind of interests and skills and development with this kind of, I guess, producing side as well, although a different element of it. I kind of fell into it. I didn't really know what an agent was. I think I thought an agent was like Estelle from Friends. That was my barometer of what a talent agent was. And it was really because the summer that I graduated, my parents, you know, I I love them. My mum's kind of working class from small town Yorkshire and thought this was a complete pipe dream. And she said, you know, I was working at Waitrose applying for jobs. And she was like, if you don't get something within this kind of six week period, you need to move on because you need to be able to support yourself. And so I was going out and interviewing for like development jobs, production jobs, and kept being told you need experience. So I was like, but I've, I've got, it. I was like, I've done an internship. I've done work experience. And they're like, well, you basically need to work for free to gain experience. And I was like, I can't do that. And so then somebody who I'd worked with at NBC was like, have you thought about literary agencies and becoming an agent assistant? And I thought, I don't really know what this is, but I'll do anything just to kind of get my foot in the door. And went and had interviews at a couple of talent agencies. And then on the last day of my mum's deadline, I had an interview at Casa Rosso with um, Abby Singer. And I remember just sort of saying, look, this is my last chance. I've been told that, like, I won't be able to kind of pursue this beyond today. Had a very, like, honest conversation with her about it and what my ambitions were. And an hour later, she called me and said, come and work for me. So I started that job a few weeks later and as soon as I started it I kind of fell in love with it because I think it's being involved at the very beginning so kind of hearing a writer say look I've had this idea for a comedy show I've had this idea for a drama show and then them going away writing the script then selling it and then seeing it get sold to the broadcaster and then seeing it eventually get made so it's like you get to have an overview of the whole creative process which is what I really liked about it but I think there was a part of me that always thought do I want to go back into development? Do I want to go and get some production experience? And really, I didn't fall in love with actual agenting until I got that taste of representing people for myself. 
it's an incredible story, but, you know, backed up by an incredible trajectory at Casarotto and that you started, as you say, as an agent's assistant, I think in 2014, and you were a full-time agent by the age of 26, which is one of the youngest in their history. Like, talk to me about how you made that happen and what you were doing to kind of facilitate that trajectory. Agenting is really hard. It's a very flat management structure. So you're either an assistant or you're an agent. There's no in-between, really. It's different to working in production where there are loads of different roles and there's a hierarchy and you kind of move up within the system. So actually being promoted, it's impossible for the, uh, for an agency to promote everybody. So you really have to kind of go for it. And once I made that decision that I wanted it, I just thought nobody else is going to make this happen for me. So I've got to make it happen myself. And what I did was I was really proactive at kind of going to shows and scouting talent on behalf of my boss at the time, like reading a lot of stuff in the background. I mean, like, I think this person's really interesting. We should go to this. We should go to that. And she was really supportive and nurturing as well. So when she started to meet some clients that maybe I'd read initially, she would kind of bring me into those meetings so I could understand how she talked and communicated with these prospective clients. And it was, I think I started kind of judging or being on panels of competition. So I'd been on the panel of the Funny Women Comedy Writing Award and then had also been on the panel of um, BAFTA Rockcliffe, which was a great way of kind of finding the next generation of kind of new voices. And I think it was the Funny Women competition. I mean, this is a really weird random story. I read a script written by a writer called Halima Mirza and that name massively rang a bell and it turned out that we had met when we were 16 on a school trip because my French teacher was going out with her French teacher from her school in Ilford and we'd become like immediate friends over that weekend and like had a sleepover and stuff and then kind of lost contact because it was the days before kind of Facebook and Instagram and I was like oh my god I think this is the person that I went on that school trip with all those years ago and the writing was incredible and basically I got in touch with her and was like I don't suppose that you're like a writer because I've just been judging this competition read your script and thought it was really astounding and she was like yeah and anyway so we met up and I was like this is feels really serendipitous I was like I think this is going to be my first client and my boss was super supportive and basically kind of godmothered me through working with Halima so we had quite a few conversations I helped Halima develop a few of her ideas and yes she became the first client that I signed at the agency which yeah had kind of come through me being across these kind of writing initiatives but also taking the initiative yourself and and recognizing I guess that's that's a question like how do you recognize apart from the writing what is it beyond that that you think makes a client as someone that has potential and that you might be a good fit for in terms of representation it always starts with the writing and ideas like I'm quite concept driven so as soon as I can see a hook in an idea I'm sort of like okay I'm in how are we going to make this the best that it can be and I think I'm drawn to quite authored voices that are telling a story from one person's point of view but in terms of the client you know one of my rules is that I have to be able to also get on with them and like go for dinner and drinks with them and be able to have a laugh because this job is difficult and it's important to be able to have a laugh and have fun at the same time I think and also being an agent I'm the buffer for a lot of rejection you know every day I'm telling people really sorry you haven't got this job that you've you know worked really hard to get the broadcaster this project that you've been developing for two years they're now taking out development having those conversations can be really 
tricky and so you want to be able to have it with somebody who trusts you and you trust them and you can be open and you can be honest so I think that's kind of equally as important to me as the work yeah I definitely want to pin that thought or talk more about the job the difficult parts of it the rejection part of it but I guess I also want to come back to when you're making that transition from being an assistant to a fully-fledged agent was that tricky in some ways in terms of deciding whether any clients that you wanted to kind of carry across with you were there some conversations that had to be had about how you would make that transition easy for yourselves and the clients yeah I mean I'm super lucky that Casarotto is very supportive and nurturing so the way that you kind of grow is you're sort of godmothered by a senior agent in which case mine was Abby so when I was her assistant everyone that I signed we co-represented together and likewise she put me on some of her clients and we co-rep them together as well because that way I wasn't completely on my own and if there was a big deal or a big issue she could step in with her knowledge and experience and really help shepherd that deal or that conversation and that then continued. So Abby and I share kind of about 15, probably 15, 20 clients still now. And at Casarotto, we do work, I guess, slightly in that more team way where, you know, I share clients with a few other agents. Because sometimes I think two heads is better than one on a client. And I think that probably is how we slightly differ to other agencies. And I found that process really helpful because there have been some situations I've had to deal with. I think, God, if I'd had to deal with this on my own, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, it's much more holistic than, I guess, the competitive view that you sometimes get of that world. We've spoken about initiative and being able to spot talent. Is there anything else that you feel like has contributed to your sense of success in that role and being a good agent? My boss, one of the best pieces of advice that has always stayed with me is that this business is all about relationships. So my approach has never been to, you know, treat producers and commissioners as the enemy, but to treat them as friends. Producers are just as much our clients as our clients are, because ultimately... They're the ones buying the material at the end of the day and the ones that are going to be moving forward with the project with our clients. So for me, I think it's always been about maintaining good relationships with producers, which has then led to, you know, production companies and producers sending me prospective clients. And now to think about the job itself, you spoke there about being a buffer, obviously, for rejection. I'm wondering how you embody that role, you know, how you frame rejection. Is it a shit sandwich kind of structure? Is there another approach that you take? How do you deliver that news, essentially? <laughs> the shit sandwich. Maybe I should use that more. I mean, I think I'm quite upfront with my clients before they do a job that, you know, the target is, is so small which isn't aided by the fact that there are probably about 300 production companies now in the UK with a handful of buyers. So the odds are always not great. But the way I frame it is if you're working with a production company, you're then, work, you know, and they sell it to a broadcaster, even if it doesn't go all the way, it's great for a broadcaster to know your work. So then when they're next, you know, staffing a show, they're thinking, oh, yeah, like, I actually really enjoyed the script that we had in development with this writer. We should get them on this. So it's kind of about climbing that ladder and people will kind of jump off that ladder at certain points and get their own show away, but it can take time. And it's just about keep going up a step, keep going up a step. And when you get knocked back, just kind of picking yourself back up again and moving forward because there are clients who have had overnight success, which is rare. And there are clients where it might take, you know, five or six years to get your own show away. It's just, and that isn't, dependent on somebody's or you know a reflection of somebody's ability it's just the kind of energy at the time and what broadcasters want and you know again being in the right place so it's kind of no one size fits all 
How do you maintain that sense of like energy and excitement about a project or a client? You know, when the no's are coming in, are you having doubts about your own, you know, sense that you've recognized something in them? And how do you how do you maintain that sense of support that is so crucial to your relationship? I love all of my clients and their work. I think long and hard before I take someone on because ultimately I want to be doing the best job for that client and I need to go into a room and pitch something with enthusiasm otherwise a producer is going to pick up on the fact that maybe I'm not enthusiastic and maybe it's not a good idea so there's never any love lost if something doesn't go right for a client I you know a lot of the time I think it's a great project but it's just not what the broadcaster wanted at that time because they do all you know audience analysis it could be the most amazing script but they might have had another medical drama that had come on the year before and therefore it's a competing project so a lot of the time it's not down to the quality of the work it's just down to what the platforms need at that time. I'd also love to know how you developed the skill of negotiating and mediating and you know trying to get the best deal for your client you know without pushing anyone too far or just obviously again maintaining good relationships but striving which can sometimes you know come across as aggressive maybe. Yeah, I mean, I kind of learned from my colleagues. I learned from Abby. She kind of taught me her approach and would be really great and let me listen to her when she was on the phone negotiating with producers. So I kind of learned her approach, which is to be kind of tough but fair and always kind of doing it with kindness. For me, if I've got an issue on a deal, I think sometimes writing an email, you know, a harsh email, isn't the best approach and maybe you need to pick up the phone to the producer and just have a conversation because we're people at the end of the day and I understand their viewpoint they understand mine and ultimately it's about finding a common ground that we're all happy with and compromise so I think just talking to people is actually the best way to negotiate I don't believe in scaremongering and shouting at people I don't think that's effective because you know Ultimately, the people that you're negotiating with are the people that are buying the work and are going to produce the work. So you have to maintain a good relationship. Yeah, I think you're so right about picking up the phone. I think that's something that for some reason we have an aversion to even more like because we're so used to digital interactions now that we seem to yeah have lost the art of just having a conversation sometimes. And you're so right that it just stops things being lost in translation. Yeah, it used to terrify me. I think it's a millennial thing. Like, not wanting to pick up the phone, but you just have to get on with it. You know, following on from this question that I guess agents get a lot, particularly if you're speaking on like panels or, you know, um, forums, you know, what are you looking for? And it's, I guess, so hard to pin down. You almost don't know what you're looking for until you see it on the page or in the room. But I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the fact that creators often need to have a unique or authentic voice you know that's you know we, we want lived in experience and you know we want the stories to feel true to them but I feel like those words are often so overused that they just kind of lose all meaning so say you're reading a spec script or you know you're watching a show reel what questions are you asking yourself to interrogate whether this is authentic and are there any other green flags that you look for that determine that someone's work has individuality and and is true to them I think something that I see a lot is a writer chasing something, the ghost of something that's already been successful. So when Fleabag was released, there were a lot of scripts that were coming in that were kind of, you know, female-led comedy about a woman who's, you know, kind of messed up in her early 30s, late 20s. Those are kind of a red flag for me. And also when you can see that somebody's writing to the, the constraints of a non-existent budget, so <laughs> thinking, I don't want to write this 10 million pound an episode sci-fi because it's never going to get made. 
when actually when you're looking for representation don't worry about that don't write within the constraints of what a commissioner wants or a budget level or whatever just write the story that you want to write because ultimately that first script that you write is probably not going to be the one that gets made anyway so it doesn't really matter so it's just about putting your voice on the page those are the most dark things and I think you know it's hard to know when a, when a story is authored. You, you only know when you read it. Like it's a feeling that you get where you're just like, okay, I haven't seen anything like this before. It's hard to pinpoint, but you kind of know when you know, really, when you're reading it and you get that, like, you almost get butterflies. There's kind of no, again, there's no rules. I think that's the problem is writers write to these non-existent rules and actually it's just like, write what you want to write. If you have a story that you want to tell, if there's an experience you've experienced that you want to put on the page, do it. Don't think about things that you've watched and write something that you think is going to be similarly kind of a successful. Mm. Yeah, if you want other people to be excited about it, you have to have that excitement yourself. Like it has to come from you, I guess. I know, you know, you spoke about kind of coming from Essex and, you know, not having visibility, you know, in terms of the industry. And I feel like you're incredibly vocal and active on Twitter in regards to kind of trying to change that and demystifying the agenting process you know doing workshops with unagented screenwriters and directors I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you think it's still such a woolly and inaccessible process you know why is your voice still so needed in this industry yeah I think I kind of look back to when I was applying for jobs and you know somebody said to me about agenting and I was like I don't know what that is I feel like when you're thinking about jobs in the industry it's like okay an actor a writer a director a producer and they'll just so little information on talent agencies and what they do and I think when I sort of became an agent I saw the way that writers would approach me and it just wasn't the right way and I thought why is this and it's because there is no guide on how to approach an agent and no advice out there and it it could be that the most amazing writer in the world has written me an email but the email's terrible and I've passed on it so I sort of thought okay what can I do? You know, it doesn't cost me anything to post advice on Twitter or do panels or seminars. And just thought this is the easiest way. Like, I'm just going to put stuff online based on my experience of being an agent and see if I can sort of help people. I basically open my diary on a Friday morning and sometimes do coffee mornings with unrepresented writers. And there are a few that their emails kind of didn't sell them really. And I met them and thought, God, you're great and the stories that you want to tell are great but actually the reason they didn't have representation is because they just weren't approaching it in the right way so yeah I've just kind of been sharing those tips on social media and also sharing any opportunities that arise and actually Twitter is such a great resource for that all of the I follow so many production companies and kind of outreach initiatives and every day there's a new opportunity But I guess, you know, it's not the sort of thing that gets picked up by the industry trades when people are running writer in residencies or uh, screenwriting competitions. So I always say to writers, even if you don't want to post on Twitter, like get an account and follow all the production companies and writers because opportunities will be shared. And I think it's the best way to hear about things. I mean, I'll definitely uh, link to some of your threads in the show notes, but can you summarise what a good cold email looks like that does sell a prospective client to you? There's so many do's and don'ts, but all I'll say is nobody has to listen to me. I'm just going on my own experience and how I like to be approached. But I think that the key mistake that people make is is not being targeted in their approach. So at Casarotto, and I assume other agencies, we share a lot of information with one another. So if somebody writes to me 
and I think they look interesting, but don't think they're the right fit, I'll kind of send that around the office and say, look, Sarah looks really interesting. Would anyone like to take a look? And all of a sudden everyone pops up and goes, oh, Sarah wrote to me. Sarah wrote to me. Sarah wrote to me too. Sarah wrote to me as well. And you're like, oh, okay. So like, who's now going to have a look? So it just causes confusion. So I would say pick one agent from each agency and write to that agent. And I think make sure that agent's taste is kind of reflects your taste and what you want to do. So for example, if I got, if somebody who writes slasher movies wrote to me for representation, it'll be quite clear that that's not my remit. I'm much more drama, kind of comedy drama focus. So you can kind of see from the client list and who represents them on all of the different talent agencies' websites, who might be the right fit for you. And I would say also think about the level of agent you want to approach. I think if I was a new writer, I wouldn't approach like the top agent at an agency. I mean, be ambitious if you want to, but I think the odds of that agent taking on a new, a brand new writer are probably quite slim. So that, you know, where I was five years ago when I was building my list under Abby's tutelage, that probably would have been a good time if I was a new writer to approach an agent, like an agent's assistant who's building their list. Because for me, what I love about the job is that I'm growing with my clients. So as they're progressing in their careers, I'm, you know, moving forward in mine as well. So I think it's kind of targeting who those people are as well that are kind of moving through the business with you. And in terms of the approach, I get so many emails that are, hi, script attached, let me know if you want to meet. Like, literally, that kind of one line. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anything about you. I don't know anything about what you want to do. I don't know why you've written to me. So I think I'd almost say, think about it as if you're writing a cover letter. So, you know, tell us why you want to, so why you want to sign with me, the agency a bit about you, a bit about the stories that you want to tell, any kind of notable connections that you've made, you know, if you've met any interesting writers, producers, if you've got anything in development, any competitions that you've been shortlisted for or won. Basically, kind of, we're looking for a series of buzzwords that are kind of telling us where you're at, you know, if your films have screened anywhere. But if you don't have any accolades to your, you know, to your name, that's not a problem either. Just tell us about you and the work and why your work is different to everyone else's, why you think that it's going to be commercial and sellable. And then I would say, don't BCC an agent from every single agency and just send one, one email. That happens a lot. So yeah, you want to really change every email that you write to each agency should be different. And I think it's important to meet lots of different agents as well because every agent is different again there's no one size fits all in terms of agent representation because it's a long journey it's like a marriage like hopefully you'll go on that journey together for the next 20 30 years of your career so it's really important that you kind of date and find the right fit for you and people often wonder whether they should attach a script everyone has a different opinion i would say I like a writer to attach or a director to attach their most kind of loved piece of work that they've made or written. And, you know, I might be on the train home flipping through my emails and I might dip into it. So it kind of saves that, that other email of me going back asking for the work. So I would attach something as well. That's really good advice. Thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned there about kind of your profile sort of growing alongside your clients. How does that work in the, in the sense that, you know, do you eventually grow out of a certain level of client? Do you become kind of aware that the profile of your clients are rising and you're like, I'm not going to take on anyone too new anymore? Or are you always sort of looking for, I guess, a balance across your list? Yeah, I mean, I would say I've got a real mix of clients. I still definitely am looking at new talent, but probably less so than before. I mean, you know, 
for transparency, I've got about 40 clients, which is a lot. So I think if I added any more, I would be at risk of not being able to give all of my clients the same level of service. But if there's that one writer or director who writes to me and the work is outstanding, like, of course, I'm going to jump for it. But I would say, you know, I'm not in a place of, you know, during the pandemic, I signed quite a few clients. So I'm definitely not in a in a place now where I'm kind of speed signing. I'm in a I'm in a place of calm <laughs> where I'm really happy with all of the clients that I have. And the focus is kind of taking them up that ladder and moving them forward in their career. Because I think if you have too many clients, it just becomes completely untenable because 40 is it's like having 40 children. It's, you know, it's enough. And making sure that they're all kind of getting what they need because you never know, you know, there might be one one week where there's no problems, but then there will be another week where you're firefighting a hundred different things. So I just need to make sure that I'm available. But most of my clients are kind of in that space now where they have projects and development with the broadcasters or have had shows made and are maybe making their second show. So they're still kind of relatively new in their writing career, but definitely have, you know, a, a level of heat around them, I would say. How do you balance the needs of 40 clients? Are you checking in with a certain amount each day or are you kind of waiting for them to get in touch with you? How does that work? I don't sleep very much is the answer. It's a hard job. If you want to be an agent, I would say think long and hard about it because it's very demanding. I mean, I love it. I love the fast paced nature of it, but you are effectively on emails all the time. You know, I'm like addicted to checking my emails. And, you know, there will be days where a director might be fired from a job and you're having to deal with that all day and it's emotional and it's traumatic. Or there are days, great days, where a show is being commissioned or, you know, no one day is the same. And it's just a lot of juggling and having to think about a thousand things at once. You have to be like a real multitasker to be able to do this because you're balancing the needs of 40 different people. But... There's no sort of like, I wouldn't say I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm going to check in with, you know, 10 clients today, 10 clients tomorrow. My clients will know that, you know, they can call me whenever. And if I'm in a meeting or dealing with something, I'll call them back as soon as I can. So it's very much like they'll reach out to me if they need me and I'll reach out to them if I need them. Yeah, that sounds much healthier. And and then obviously, you know, you spoke about being in the kind of comedy, comedy drama um, space. And presumably there is some overlap with the types of, you know, worlds and characters that your clients like to write. So how does that work when you're pitching them and trying to advocate for them, but also not trying to uh, facilitate this kind of competitive nature where you literally have clients who might be going up for the same job? Does that ever happen? How do you sort of make peace? So within those genres, I'd say my writer's or directors are all tonally very different so it's more of a tone thing so like they're not all a similar tone so if, if say a writer had written to me for representation and I have a writer who has a similar voice I probably wouldn't then take that writer on because as you said they would be competing for the same job occasionally it does happen and my approach is just to be really transparent and say to each client you're just so you know so and so is going up for this you know you're going up for this as well you know it happens because ultimately they're going to be going up against writers from other agencies anyway so it's just about having an upfront conversation with them but for me I would say none of my writers voices are similar they're all very different that's why I kind of branched out from because I was doing just comedy initially when I started building my list and that's why I branched out into drama and now I'm also looking after a a few genre writers as well because I think I thought I could only do comedy because that's the world that I came from and what I knew. And I was like, actually, I, I actually prefer watching drama. 
but I just thought, oh, I don't know if I have. It was that imposter syndrome thing of like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I'm smart enough to do this, but then ended up kind of just pushing for it and doing it. So now that I kind of cross those three different genres and do filmmaking as well, the odds are kind of better for my list in the sense that they aren't necessarily going to be going up for the same stuff, but obviously occasionally it does happen. And going up against, you know, other agents' clients within the agency as well. But it makes sense for you, I guess, to kind of hear about a job or to be in touch with a broadcaster and then know specifically like who it might appeal to on your list. The more specific their voice is, the more you're going to be able to kind of, you know, match fit them with the jobs that would make sense for them. It's weird. Like I'll meet with a producer and they'll pitch a show and it's like immediately I think, oh, OK, Sharma would be great for this one or like Halima would be great for this one. It's just, it's like such a weird, it's, it's something that I can't really describe. Honestly, the most joyous thing doing this job and kind of when you're pitching someone and it happens there's kind of no better no better feeling really so that's the most rewarding part of the job for you when something yeah gets a commission yeah kind of jumping around the office (laughs) when um a show gets greenlit or when a, a writer's you know got their first episodic gig writing on someone else's show or even their first writer's room and you know you get the joy like it's like telling someone they've won the lottery because like all of my clients have kind of this has been their dream and being able to like help them do that is the most rewarding thing ever and what about the most misunderstood part of your job that we work for our clients because they're paying us a percentage I think there's some writers when they meet you know me for representation it's an understanding that oh I work for them when actually it's no you know I work with my clients we're a team both aiming for a common goal so I think that's probably the biggest mis- misunderstanding. And, and, al- and also that as agents, our whole day is kind of spent looking for new clients. I, I wished I had enough time. I wished I could make a carbon copy of me who could uh, sit there reading all the inquiries that come in. But my day is filled with doing contracts and meeting producers and firefighting and catching up with clients. And then in the evenings, you know, I I don't have time to sit at my desk and read. So all of the reading that I do happens on the train in, on the train home, in the bath, on, you know, at the weekend, the outside. So the actual time for reading material that's coming in from new writers is so limited, which is why it's so important to get that email right, because I get like hundreds of representation inquiries a month and I I don't have the time to read them all unfortunately because the priority has got to be servicing my existing client base and reading their work and giving them thoughts on that. And, And shifting more into the retrospective part of the interview I'm wondering what is the thing that maybe excites you most about the industry at the moment? I think the fact that it's changing I mean it's not changing fast enough but it is changing and just seeing the opportunities that are coming in you know like one of my clients Bisher K. Ali did a fellowship with Netflix last year for new writers and that was an incredible scheme where they also got the opportunity to kind of start in a writer's room to get their first credit so seeing the kind of breadth of opportunity for new talent is something that really excites me and particularly underrepresented talent and also kind of the absolute appreciation of female filmmakers particularly in the in the genre space And you mentioned there that the change isn't coming quick enough. So I assume, but feel free to correct me, that that is the most frustrating thing that you feel like, you know, there is there is still a lot to be done to get equity, essentially. Yes. I mean, it's and it's not just down to the talent. It's down to the roles of people within the business. So the agents, the production companies, the commissioners, a lot of people come from immense privilege. And that's not to say they're not deserving of having those opportunities, but you need to make space 
for other people to come through because otherwise the stories that we're telling are going to be so singular in their point of view and not accessible enough for everyone so I think that's probably the most frustrating thing. Is there anything you feel like you do specifically to like create that space aside from you know obviously the, the clients that you sign and the opportunities that you put them up for the work that you do on Twitter but I'm thinking more like micro or granular on a day-to-day. <laughs> Sometimes what I'll do is if an opportunity has come in and it's not right for some of my clients sometimes I might mention other writers or directors who I don't represent who aren't represented for those opportunities and ask if they could potentially shadow in a room uh, just to gain some experience and get their first credit so that's something and I think it's mainly just the kind of workshops I do with underrepresented talent and creating a, a forum where they can ask questions and not feel silly like I ask stupid questions all day, every day, and that's all part of the learning process. And that's because, as I said, there's no guide on how to do this job or how to navigate this industry. And we're all learning and growing at the end of the day. Is there something that you're proudest of having achieved in your career so far? I think it's my clients. The people that I've signed and just seeing them grow and learn has been like an absolute privilege. So I think that's probably the thing that I'm proudest of is the people that I get to work with. And you mentioned the piece of advice that has sort of like helped steer your career, but I'm wondering if there's anything else that you kind of wish that you'd known or advice that you would pass on to people looking to get into agenting. Yeah, no one's going to hand it to you. That would probably be my biggest piece of advice. You've got to go for it and you've got to be tenacious. So I remember, you know, don't sit back just applying for jobs, thinking, well, hopefully I'll get an interview. You know, I was calling up talent agencies saying, like, hi, I'm Emma, like, what have you guys got? You know, how do I get into this? Like, be really hungry and determined and write to people who you admire, you know, write to the heads of talent agencies, write to the producers who work you admire, ask for a cup of coffee. 99% of the time you'll get knocked back, but that 1% of the time you might get a yes and it might lead to something. So I think if you want it, go after it and go after it hard. And finally, is there a film by a woman director or a TV show that you would like to recommend today? It would be stupid of me if I didn't plug one of my own clients' projects. So I would say go and watch Millie Lies Low by Michelle Saville. It premiered at South by Southwest in Berlin last year. She's a New Zealander, an amazing filmmaker. It's a really joyful, kind of fun and also moving comedy drama feature that kind of looks at anxiety. It's great, and she is such a talent and is directing sex education at the moment, and I would just watch this space because I think she's going to go really far. Fantastic. I hadn't heard of that, so thank you for the recommendation. Emma, thank you so much for the work you do in the industry and also coming on to talk about it so succinctly and eloquently. Um, I've really appreciated speaking with you today. Thank you. for listening to this episode of best girl grip if you liked what you heard please do rate review and subscribe spread the good word etc if you're interested in other conversations with talent agents check out my episodes with roxana adel and kat buckle in the meantime have a great week and i'll be back next friday with a brand new episode <laughs>